What do you know about Frederick Tutton? Nothing. Nothing. Uh, I thought I knew about Frederick Tutton, um, but I don't because I thought he was from like France and he's from like the Bronx. And then I saw an interview with him when I was watching some stuff about possession and he opened his mouth and talked and out of his mouth came this New York accent. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Why did you um, think he was from France? Because he's, because he's like a, a, philosoph- a philosopher, art author, uh, poet, essayist. I just, he seemed the kind of guy who was not from America. I just assumed that he was from, from the kind of books he wrote and the kind of essays he wrote. I thought he was like one of them foreign intellectuals. And instead, he's an American satirist and writer. I just didn't know he was from America. Um, he co-wrote the screenplay to the movie we're watching. So uh, this is the ecstasy of influence. Woo! Yes, we are. We are. We're in the 80s. We are enjoying the movies that inspired Guillermo del Toro. And which movies in the list that we have covered so far are the ones that we weren't looking forward to because we thought it would be uncomfortable to watch as a father and daughter? The Devils. The Devils. There was another one. The Devils was the first big one, right? Yeah. Um, It was The Devils and... Not the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We didn't even watch that one together. Not the House That Screamed. No. Not Jaws. Was it just the Devils? No, there was definitely another one. Was it Suspiria? No, because we were looking forward to watching Suspiria. Was it War of the Gargantuas? No. (laughs) Eight and a half? Was it Before the Devils? Was it? Seventh Seal? Black Sunday? Night of the Hunter? Los Olvidados? Fantasia? <laughs> was it Haxon? I don't know. I thought there was another one. I thought so too. Maybe there's not and we're just getting confused. Maybe it was just that maybe the devils was so intimidating that uh that it just sort of overpowered all the other ones. Or maybe it's just that there have been so many movies that you have not enjoyed watching that <laughs> that it felt like it in retrospect. No, I've enjoyed watching a lot of our movies. I just didn't want to watch Jaws. You didn't want to watch Jaws. You did not enjoy watching Phantom of the Paradise. And that was the va- worst. That was vowed- so much harder to get through than The Devils was. We vowed never to watch The Texas Chainsaw Massacre again. Yeah. <laughs> Not because it was a bad movie, just because I don't need it in my life anymore. I'm done. We don't need to watch anymore. Fantasia ever again either. We do not need to watch Fantasia ever again. Maybe bits of Fantasia, little sections. I will not be watching Fantasia. Maybe listening to Fantasia, but I'll never be watching it. <laughs> so this movie, this week's, this episode's movie is Possession from 1981. Uh, Andrzej Zulowski is the director and co-writer. Uh, he's a Polish filmmaker. And what's funny is we just got through uh, talking about a director who... Gary Sherman, who is pretty much just like a workaday filmmaker. He just wants to make some movies. He had trouble making some movies. Uh, but he was just trying to make make some good movies with a political point. And he just kept coming up against studios that wanted to recut his movies. Zalowski kept wanting to make movies, but he kept coming up against the Polish communist government. <laughs> Who kept shutting his movies down. He was trying to make movies about the terrors and nightmare of living in communist Poland under an oppressive regime. I don't know where he thought that was going to go, given the fact that he was trying to make them in Poland. But <laughs> well, what's funny is, so he makes this movie. Uh, but given he, given what the, the only thing you've told me about this movie, the only statement you've said about this movie, makes me wish this movie had never been made in the first place. Okay, so... 
so he made a movie in 1971 called The Third Part of the Night. It's a horror film, uh, and it goes okay. But then he makes a movie in 1972 called The Devil, which is a like a, a, a which is a horror movie that the government is like, ah, nope, we figured you out. You're criticizing the communist government, and as soon as it comes out, they ban it. Um, and so he goes to France and he makes a movie called That Most Important Thing, Love, which gets adulation like across the board and makes him famous. So then the Polish government's like, oh, we were wrong. Come back to Poland and make a movie for us. We love you. Because they wanted they wanted the famous filmmaker to make movies for them. So he comes mm-hmm. back to Poland. He starts making a movie called On the Silver Globe. It's this sci-fi movie uh, based on a novel by, I think, his uncle or his great uncle. Um, science fiction movie, huge budget, huge cast, uh, like this blowout production. He gets most of the way through making it and the government's like, we figured out this is actually critical of the government again. We're shutting you down. And he's like, what? No, I'm almost done with this movie that I've poured my life into. Movie gets shut down, doesn't come out for, I think like, yeah, it doesn't come out until the late 80s when they finally like, piece it together, like with what exists. Mm-hmm. And like, there's like sort of like voiceover narration and stuff to fill in the parts he wasn't able to finish. But that comes later. He's depressed. He is in a funk. Then his wife decides to divorce him. <laughs> and abandon him he starts like she starts getting like erratic she starts behaving weirdly and erratically she starts like leaving their child unattended uh he starts coming home and like she's acting weird toward him and then she's like i want to leave you and he doesn't know what's going on so he gets depressed like majorly depressed and in the midst of all this he gets a call from these like polish artists in new york and they're like hey we have all this money we want you to come to new york make a movie and he's like i'm on my way gets to new york they were lying they didn't have any money but they're like but we still want you to make a movie you're in new york uh why don't you put together a story and so he puts together the story that would become possession uh based on his experiences with like a wife who suddenly decides to divorce him and starts acting weird his own depression and the horrors of communist poland uh his only english language film and this is like the opposite of rosemary's baby (laughs) it is it is kind of that. Um, it's partly inspired by Anna Karenina. When when Tolstoy wrote Anna Karenina, he set out to write a story about. He was, I, th- I believe, like his wife had left him, so he set out to write a story about this horrible woman who leaves her wonderful husband. And in the process of writing it, uh, ended up developing sympathy for this woman, and then writing a story about why you know about her life and about her like her like her affair and all this stuff and the story of Anna Karenina. Uh, and that kind of partly inspired this movie as well. But he gets teamed up with Frederick Tutton, the American writer who I thought was French. And <laughs> they scrape money together. They're writing, the, they're writing the movie in New York. They're writing the movie in Paris. And then they run out of money. And they don't only run out of money. They run out of their director because Andre Zulowski disappears one morning because they don't have any money. And Frederick Tutton's in Paris. And he's like, where you go? <laughs> and in, these, in this interview, he's like, I didn't hold it against him. He was a nut. He was going through a lot of stuff at the time. Eventually, they scraped the money back together and they finished uh, writing the movie. They had trouble casting it because people kept reading the script and were like, nah. <laughs> But uh, finally, they land on a male lead, Mr. Sam Neill, future Jurassic Park star Sam Neill. 
uh, future Omen three star Sam Neill uh, agrees to play the male lead, and uh, Isabel Anjani uh, Johnny agrees to play the female lead, and they are off to the races. And uh, as as you said, the the very little we know about this movie, it does not sound like a pleasant film. Uh, it sounds like a very uncomfortable movie. Look, but I guess we're gonna this movie. The way you described this movie to me was in one sentence. It's what I heard. From the filmmaker's mouth. It's how he sold the movie to someone. It's not like he didn't say this is what the movie's about. He told someone this is what the movie's about to get their interest in it. But if that is an element of this movie, there's going to be issues. (laughs) And I'm just going to say that that specific genre of movie isn't something I'd want to watch with my dad or ever, to be completely honest. (laughs) I don't think this movie is so critically hailed. That I cannot believe that what I told you is the o- the end all be all, the overall plot of the movie. We're not watching a pornography film. That's although good because I, I would be really uncomfortable with that. I do believe that there's probably like sex and stuff in it. Gross. But we got through the devils, and that had sex with Jesus. Yeah, but the devils the devils was more like we didn't want to watch it because there were some really intense torture scenes in it. Okay. That's true, too. I don't know what's in this movie. Uh, I know there's blood in this movie and a lot of special effects. So because I know that people were like, wow, like not only did he pull this off, like this has some like great special effects in it. So that's all I know. There's probably people listening at home who are laughing their heads off at us right now who are like, (laughs) we know possession. You don't know what you're in for. Uh, All I know is I love Sam Neill. If I have to watch a woman have sex with an octopus, I'm going to be really mad. (laughs) (laughs) But you'll finish watching the movie. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I might be too mad. I do love Sam Neill. And I do love Isabel Adjani. I like both of them as as performers. I think they're both fantastic. I enjoy watching movies with my child. <laughs> so it's funny because like we this is a this started as a Gambito Toro podcast. And it's mm-hmm. not like Gambito Toro movies shy away from weirdness. Like they don't shy the shape of water. Mm-hmm has sex and monsters it has like a man's fingers falling off throughout the film so there's stuff we've we've sat through stuff we've sat through stuff we're but probably at least building the, the at least the monsters in like the shape of water were humanoid <laughs> we don't like, know what we're in for we don't know what we're in for if like, i just watch that... woman have sex with an octopus i'm gonna be mad people at home are probably laughing right now you're gonna <laughs> have to give me a hundred dollars <laughs> what if i don't have a hundred dollars you better save up then <laughs> listeners at home if willow is mad at watching this movie send to my send send a hundred dollars to my, <laughs> my venmo account i'll post my venmo on the it's del toro time twitter account by the end of this episode you'll know if you need to send me scrape together a hundred bucks <laughs> willow is going to italy next semester uh it would be nice if people would uh actually support her her trip to italy for school it's okay you don't have to give us money but if you want to give us money i will not say no if you want to give us money because of the octopus sex we won't turn you down (laughs) uh speaking of i think we should start watching this movie because even though it's not the longest movie we ever watched uh that one is coming up later uh it is a two-hour movie so should we start it yes we should 
Well, everybody, even though you probably have already figured this out by now, I'm Phil. And I'm Willow. And it's Del Toro time. Uh, I liked this vomit divorce movie. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It did injure me. Uh, what, what, what could possibly have injured you about this pus-filled fluid nightmare? <laughs> what could possibly have bothered you about this homunculus baby octopus monster that has sex with our protagonist's ex-wife, but doesn't really seem to have much to do with the overall arc, which is about a divorce? <laughs> How could it have damaged you? I pulled my chest muscle. You did pull a chest muscle. And then later than that night, after I was complaining to you about the movie making me pull my chest muscle, I was laying in bed and I moved my arm too vigorously and I tore my chest muscle. Yeah, I don't think you tore your chest. If you tore your chest muscle, I, I don't I, think we'd be talking it, right now. It was a light tear, but I definitely did because I hurt it. Did your chest fall? <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, because that sounds like something that would have happened in 1981's Possession. Yeah. I definitely heard it real bad because I couldn't move for the rest of the night. Well, then I would say that you can empathize much with our heroine uh, because she had a very, a very painful experience in a subway tunnel. I didn't watch that scene. She leaked from every hole. I didn't watch I that mean, scene. I mean, I assume every hole. I stopped watching at some point. <laughs> It's the most famous scene in the movie. If you want to see a movie where a woman leaks from every hole, but it's also like just a movie, then Possession is the movie for you. It's the worst. Yeah, she spills all kinds of fluids. White fluids and green fluids. Okay, we got to stop talking about this because I'm going to throw up. <laughs> that was, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, the scene where Willow pulled her chest muscle, which was gagging at the, at the uh, uh, I don't know. It was a miscarriage scene. Question mark? No, because it was. She I've was talking about. Okay, look. Seri full serious, full serious face fill. Miscarriage is a very serious subject. Mm -hmm. Many women have them. I've never seen one. I don't think it actually looks like that. I don't no. know for a fact, but I don't think it looks like a Willy Wonka nightmare. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it was supposed to be a realistic miscarriage. She looked like a Cadbury cream egg lady <laughs> with problems. I think that it was supposed to be a representation of the emotional toil that a miscarriage takes on someone. Yes. Uh, uh, spoiler alert, this entire movie was a representation of emotional turmoil. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, this movie, Possession, we watched the movie Possession, 1981's Possession, uh, which we talked about up top, directed by Andre Zulovsky, uh, a movie about his divorce, a movie about his uh, sort of like intense depression. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, he was divorced, uh, the, his 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 ex-wife was, uh, I don't know how you say, Malgorzata Braunek. Uh, she was an actress. She is an actress. Uh, I guess her last movie was in 2007, but she's 67 years old. And if you look at pictures of the two of them from when they were together, if you think ever think to yourself, why would he cast this? Why would he cast like Isabel Anjani, who is probably, who is a cute as a button actress mm -hmm. to play this role? And then you look at his ex-wife, who is equally cute as a button. And okay, I will, I will, I will see if I can pull up a picture of, of his ex-wife and you will go, oh, he cast, he perfectly cast her because she's cute as a button. She is. Look at her. Yeah. And you could be like, yep. I would I would go crazy and cut my arm with an electric knife if she divorced me. Nope. <laughs> I would stalk her and witness her having octopus love with an octopus baby man. Uh, I would. Was he stalking her? 
He did hire a private detective to investigate her. I thought that was mostly because he didn't want her taking his son. Well, I mean, oh, Bob, the son, Bob, <laughs> Bob the, the only, boy. There's what? How many? How how many sympathetic characters were there in this movie? Five. At, only at most five. It was Bob. It was Bob Banana Man. Banana Man. Uh, there was a lady who people like uh encountered at one point. For a yeah. while, there was the friend with the broken leg, mm-hmm. and then we lost sympathy for her. Um, did we lose sympathy for her, or did she just die? Same difference. And then Man in the Pink Socks. Yes. Uh, They have a boy named Bob. So, yes. So, Possession. Uh, It was an experience. Yeah. Uh, It certainly was. It it certainly was. Um, Yeah. So, what? Okay. So, what what was this movie about? Like, literally or figuratively? Let's say what? Okay. Not what was this movie about. What happened in this movie? (laughs) All right. Uh, well, so there's a man mm-hmm. who's like job. He's a spy? Question mark. He's some sort of dude that does things with other people yes. in really empty buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's. Oh, this movie takes place in West Berlin, by the way. Mm-hmm. So you assume that he was like doing some sort of espionage in East Berlin. I assume. Mm-hmm. How familiar uh-huh. are you with the whole East and West Berlin thing? Like, how much sense does that make to you? Uh, I think the last time I talked about it was in my ninth grade history class. Which is ironic or coincidental because ninth grade history class, well, not just history class, but ninth grade was when East and West Berlin stopped being a thing when I was a kid. Uh, The Berlin Wall fell when I was in ninth grade and it was earth shattering. Uh, For those of you playing along at home who aren't familiar, after World War II, people were mad at Germany and because of the whole Nazi thing. And the United States and England and Russia and various other places were all occupying it. And everyone was like, free Germany now. And Russia was like, communist germany now and so we're like okay we'll paint a line down germany russia you can have this part you can have communist germany we'll have the rest but then berlin was the capital and they were like well we also want to divide berlin in half so then berlin was divided in half but it was in east germany the communist part so half of berlin wasn't controlled by the communists but it was also within the communist part which was ruled with an iron fist and so you would have to get like this special trains to go from west germany to west berlin and back but you couldn't but there was the wall that eventually was built dividing the city in half and if you tried to cross the wall from east berlin to west berlin you got shot in the head and Mm -hmm. just right there just like bang and you're dead and it was wild like germany was divided into like quote-unquote good germany and quote-unquote evil germany and then the capital which was in evil germany was divided into good berlin and evil berlin and it was such a nightmare for most people like just this like existential nightmare that him setting this movie not only in berlin but within yards of the wall like you just see the wall most of the movie is not a mistake it's not an accident it is it is there is this he says, even though it's clearly a movie about a divorce, he says this is more of a political movie about politics than it is about gross babies. Frankly, I don't care what he thinks this movie is about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't ignore the the Berlin Wall stuff. Like, no, you can't ignore it. Doesn't mean anything to me. So, <laughs> look, so, okay. I get it. You want to put a message in your movie, but if you're going to put a message in your movie, you can't. You can't do it with this movie. I'm sorry, but it's going to get lost. <laughs> I think it's more, for me, it's that, it, it reminds me a lot of the movies that Guillermo del Toro 
talks about, which are about fascism, even though they don't directly address fascism. Like, even if you're not trying to make a movie about being, because, you know, he was from Poland, which was not a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, like a, a very free place to be at the time. Even if you're not explicitly trying to make a movie about that, you cannot help but make a movie about yeah. that because that is your psyche. That is your, but yes, it's, it's very much great. a movie about the divorce. That's great. I That's great. We've watched a lot of movies about fascism that aren't actually about fascism. This does not feel like one of those movies. <laughs> so what happens? He comes back from his business trip. He's having some issues with his wife. Mm-hmm. She's freaking out, wants to divorce him. He's like, don't do that. What yeah. can I do to fix this? And she's like, you can't do anything. She won't communicate with him. They have a son named Bob. He's pretty great. He's like, uh, what, like 10? Mm-hmm. When you say they have discussions about having a divorce, are these calm discussions? No, there's a lot of yelling and swearing. Mm-hmm. I liked the cafe scene. Where they're sitting back to back? Mm-hmm. You know what you can't do anymore? Go to cafes. You cannot go to that specific cafe and sit back to back. They expanded the seating area. So that seat, that corner seat doesn't exist anymore. The mirror Why still they does. Do that? Because they wanted more people to be able to sit in their cafe. That's but you fair. can no still one else has seen this movie. So I wanna okay. go to I wanna go to Berlin with you just so we can do a possession tour and visit all these sites. Because they're all there. They're all still there. Except for the What Berlin are you doing Mall. in Germany? Oh, we're going on a possession tour. We wouldn't be the first. <laughs> I yeah. did enough research online. We wouldn't be the first people to go on a possession tour. So in any case, so he's having trouble he's having problems with his wife. Who is not a sympathetic character. I want to put that out there. It's not very easy to sympathize with her. Yeah, she's an odd duck. Mm-hmm. She's, she's, a little, she's a little loud, too. She's also just... The, the whole... Their relationship... Well, A, their relationship just needs to end because it's terrible. And it is ending. Yeah. Sort of. Well, he doesn't want it to end. But things are complicated by the fact that she's kind of seeing a guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she's... Who's... Not also not a sympathetic character. She's seeing this guy named Heinrich, who is kind of a parody of a man. <laughs> he may be bisexual. It's hinted that mm-hmm. he might be bisexual. Uh, oh, that wasn't. It's not hinted. He's pretty flamboyant. He's kind of new agey. He's kind of your worst nightmare if your wife leaves you. Yeah. Like this? You he left me for me this? He reminds me of the Bond villain. I think I said that he while we were watching. He is like a Bond villain. <laughs> He's like a Bond villain. Uh, they also have a family friend named uh, uh, Mar- Mar- Margie? 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 Margie, I think uh, she's not a family friend. She's the wife's best friend, which means she's the husband's she's the worst, worst enemy. That's how the, that's really how fictional is. that's how fictional women go. They're either your wife or they're your worst enemy because they're your wife's best friend, and they see how crappy you treat your wife, and they want her to leave you. Now we have no reason to believe that he was a bad husband at any point. Although I can't believe that he was a great husband just based on his behavior throughout this film. <laughs> I don't think they were ever happy together. Were they, or like? Or is it that he shows back up and all of a sudden everything is different? I don't know. We can't really tell. They're, they fight a lot on the phone before he even gets home. Right. Uh, this is, this is, yeah, there's, we don't get any, yeah, you're, we don't get any idea of what they were like before the movie begins. Mm-hmm. No one even talks about it. Like, there's no, like, things. I used, just, I, yeah. I can't imagine that they were happy before because all of this turmoil doesn't come up out of nothing. Mm-hmm. And you could say, oh, well, they have like a 10 year old kid together. This doesn't mean anything. <laughs> People in bad relationships have children all the time. So he goes on a bender. He drinks a lot. He's out of the count for a few weeks. He comes back to their house. And he's like staying in an apartment. Comes back to their house. She's nowhere to be found. And Bob has been left alone in the house. And he's covered this is where- in jam. Like a Paddington bear. 
This is where like you like you stop sort of feeling sympathy for this woman. Mm-hmm. At least this is where I stop feeling sympathy towards for this woman. Yeah, she is. As a... soon as you start neglecting your child because of your own emotional needs and you're not getting like the help help with your emotional issues or like getting help for someone to watch your kid, I'm sorry, but no. Would it be fair to say she abandoned her boy? Yes, she abandoned the boy. Yes, she abandoned the boy, and the boy Bob is again an entirely likable child. He is. He's great. Mm-hmm. He wants to be a diver or something. Yeah, he's just a cute little boy. Um, and the only time these people act anywhere approaching naturally human is when they're is when like uh, Sam Neil, Mark, the main guy, when Mark is like interacting with Bob, then he's just kind of just mellow. He's just like a nice guy. He's just like, oh, let's get you cleaned up. And, and you're like, oh, OK, I see him being a regular person now. But the movie doesn't let us witness them being regular people very often. Yeah. See, the thing is, is I think that there's... It's it's hard because this movie was written by or made by a guy who was venting pretty mm-hmm. much. So the way the wife is portrayed is very negative because it's through his lens. You think? Um, but if we're just going based on the characters, I want to say that neither of them are very good partners to each other. But at least the at least the man is a good father. Yeah, Mark tries to be a good dad mm-hmm. um, when he's not on a bender or beating his well, wife. Because he thought he didn't he get kicked out of the house he gets kicked out of the house yes uh, he comes yeah. back well, then, they yeah. sleep together but then she does she runs off and uh and eventually we meet the boy's teacher mm-hmm. who is the wife <laughs> explain <laughs> <Greenhouse>. yourself <laughs> <laughs> and no one acknowledges this except for like you'd think the son would be like what is happening yeah so he meets the teacher and it's played by the same actress it's isabella and johnny yeah. and but you said she has green eyes mm-hmm yeah, what's up with that? And how'd they well, do fine. that? Was that special effects? I assume they just used contact lenses. <laughs> Any contact lenses before 1988, I assume are like the worst things in the world to put in your eyes. But I know that people wore contacts. It just seems like, ow. Like they were probably these heavy, like just mm-hmm. plastic, hard pieces of plate. And But yeah, she has beautiful green eyes and uh, she's a nice person as well. So I like the kindergarten teacher. Or yeah, but she's not fifth, a sympathetic... gra- fifth grade teacher. She's not kindergarten teacher. The boy's she's not, not kindergarten teacher. She's not a sympathetic character, though. Why not? Because you're like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> well, she's clearly a doppelganger. She's clearly a stand-in yeah. for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, boy. Okay, so they get into... She's, 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 she is the representation of what he wishes his wife was. Right. She's loving. She's good with kids. She likes him. Mm-hmm. Um, she's sort of the ideal woman in the movie. Kind of, kind of. Uh, who's not the ideal man is Heinrich, the lover, uh, who beats up our hero. Uh, to be fair, he didn't take the first swing. He did not take it the first It was the hero that Sam Neill, okay, so in this movie, Sam Neill is built a bit like me when I was... <laughs> Even weaker than I am now. He looks like a bean pole. He looks like the scarecrow. <laughs> and then he goes up against Heinrich, who he goes to Heinrich's place, and Heinrich's or He's is a Bond it, villain. Yeah, who's built like a brick and can do some kind of like weird European martial art that I don't believe really exists, but he does it well. He does like some kind of like weird like thing and then he like beats the crap out of Mark. <laughs> While talking to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's lot like of having a conversation. There's a lot of monologues in this movie uh, mm-hmm. about. There's no music. Various things. So there's a score, but it comes and goes. There's a lot of scenes that just have no music, though. Yeah, it's it's a pretty like. Um, I want to mention another thing about this teacher before we move on from her, though. Okay. Because uh, 
we, uh, we see that the, the wife, no one changes clothes in this movie. <laughs> They're always wearing the same thing. And that clo- uh, the clothing gets stained. Yeah. Uh, but the wife and the teacher are wearing the same outfit, sort of. It's just the teacher's is white and the wife's is like dark gray or black. Mm-hmm. Oh, she wears a lot of blue, mm-hmm. the wife does. Um, I can only picture this movie in black and white, even though I know it was in color. It's so. probably your brain trying to keep you safe. It's like, just don't imagine <laughs> yeah. it with any color. You'll be a lot better off. <laughs> Uh, after he gets beaten up by Heinrich, he goes and beats up his wife. Like that's sort of beat like, each other up. They they get in a fight and he beats the crap yeah. out of her, uh, which is not cool. No, it's not cool. Um, and then they get another fight and then she attacks herself with an electric knife. And then he attacks himself with an electric knife. But like dispassionately, <laughs> she cuts herself yeah. in the neck with a knife and he like cuts himself in the arm with the knife. It they, that whole scene because she was talking to him because he comes back and she's in the kitchen or something mm-hmm. that whole scene really rubbed me the wrong way oh yeah why because it, it really felt like at least like the way that it was shot and the way she acted about it it really felt like she cut herself and then was pretending he cut her but yeah but cause and effect in this movie are kind of up in the air they are in, yeah. <laughs> like characters reactions to things are uh almost as a rule irrational or mm-hmm. over the top or carry on I don't know how anyone has this much energy. It's very energetic performances. A lot of screaming and and yelling and throwing things and trashing rooms. And the emotions are at a constant high. I can see where a person being like, this is my state of mind right now. And I and if I'm if you're gonna see inside my head, this is what it looks like. It's kinda like when you talk to someone and then later on you're talking to them and they were like, Oh, that whole time we were talking, I was furious or I was like just a borderline about to scream. And to you they just seemed perfectly normal. But it's like if you could see inside a person's head all the time, how much screaming and knife cutting would be in there? A lot. If someone got into my face and started screaming, I would punch them. Well, you're in luck because there's a lot of punching in <laughs> possession. I'm just saying that hitting your spouse is never okay. No. But if somebody got into my face and was screaming after having neglected our child together and abandoning him, I would punch them. I'm sorry. <laughs> but like... <laughs> I would never... I could never punch anyone. I don't I don't think I... I, I need these hands for violin. Um, I'm the golden boy. It's a reference to the play. You'd punch it's a reference somebody. to the play Golden was, Boy by Clifford Odets. What if somebody was threatening your child? With what? <laughs> like their fists. With somebody was threatening Mitzi. If someone came up to Mitzi and was like, <laughs> put him up. <laughs> put up your dukes. <laughs> I'd probably just take her by the shoulder and like guide her away from the situation. <laughs> they were like the... <laughs> <laughs> come on <laughs> what if she was what if she was getting beat up i don't think i would use my fists i think i would use my hands i think i'm more of a grappling fighter mm-hmm. a grabber and a, a holder i would just lose oh, yeah, I, I would probably throw me... up what are you talking about <laughs> i'm the most useless person i would never i would never punch anybody i'd kick them yeah i'm more of a kicker than i am a puncher i'm a slapper and a scratcher i'm a gouger Go for the eyes, man. You'd grab their face and stick your. Head I would go for the eyes. face and stick the thumbs in well, the yeah, eyes. That's, yeah, I'm not All trying right, to win to know... a fight. I'm trying to stop a fight. I'm trying it's to keep to someone from if, punching if my ten year old was... for some reason. <laughs> if Mitzi was being attacked by another ten year old, you'd go for the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I would go for the. I go for the damn Mitzi eyes. Would... Mitzi would beat up any other ten year old. I don't think she needs your. Help. Yeah, that would be a pretty intimidating ten year old to go after Mitzi. <laughs> Speaking of 
<laughs> my child being put in danger. Um, uh, it's funny though. You said my child. I didn't think you being attacked by someone with their fist. Although, if somebody be. attacked me, I would beat them up. <laughs> That's true. I wouldn't have to worry. You'd have it all yeah. taken care of. Little Mostly because I'm too short for them to reach. Yeah, they'd be like with their fists. <laughs> Here. <laughs> I'm at perfect kidney punching height. Like <laughs> true. you have to get behind them though. So you have to be quick. You have to be slippery. Like Tom Cruise and, you and kick far him in and the away. knees. You <laughs> kick him in the knees. Well, actually, first you kick him in the balls. Mm-hmm. Then you punch him in the nose, and then you run away. Mm-hmm. You can also go for their throat with your teeth. That catches them <laughs> off guard. They're like, they wasn't like what are you this. doing? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Ah. Uh, so in any case uh, a detective is hired Mark hires a detective who hires a detective it's like a detective a a, a detective partnership all I know is that they are a couple yes it's a progressive movie because because there is a gay couple who are private eyes and And a bisexual bond villain a bisexual bond villain but gay couple private eyes and them being gay is important to the story because one of them goes missing and the other one's like this is my this is my partner. Like, mm-hmm. I gotta go find him. I love him. Uh, they both end up dead, but so does everyone else. Spoilers. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, what happens with the private investigator? This Maybe is where things get to... wiggity wiggity weird. There's a lot of spies in this movie. Spies slash detectives. Maybe they weren't referred to as associate as his associates. Maybe it was the other people. Regardless, what happens really to the private eyes? Are well, one watching of them... you. Is the worst at his job. These are bad private eyes. Very bad. Yeah. Because he's sprinting after this woman the entire time they're on screen together. He's supposed to be tailing her inconspicuously. Mm-hmm. But how is he doing it? By sprinting after her and panting really loudly. Panting really loudly. He's <laughs> following her within like two feet of her. Yeah. He's like just right up behind her the whole time. She's just pretending not to notice him. Uh, but what did she discover? She is living in like in a burnt out apartment. The worst it's just apartment. An apartment. It is the worst apartment. It's pretty, it has very nice acoustics though. It has nice acoustics. It's also bum 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 within a few yards of the Berlin Wall. Right there. Is it? I didn't notice. It's right there by the Berlin Wall. You see it like it's that curved wall that goes right by it. That's, is that what that is? That's part of the Berlin Wall. Um, in fact, if you go there now, the wall is gone. But there is a mm-hmm. double brick path that's in the shape of where the Berlin Wall was. Like, it'll always be there. You'll always see where the Berlin Wall once stood. Uh, Are there um, any naked octopus men? Spoilers. Yes. That's who occupies where what the former East Berlin. He's not really an octopus anymore, or the first time we see him. So... In doing some reading, some things refer to it as there's eventually we hear about her having a, a a miscarriage. Some commentators refer to this thing as her miscarried baby. That's what I thought it was. But there's no like real connection to that. Like it's she never refers to it. Well, she never refers to it. Uh, I thought that because she was she was talk she went into the miscarriage story when he was like, "What the hell is that thing?" So I just made that connection by that. Right. Also, I think that if you miscarried slash gave birth to a freaky octopus man, that would make the miscarriage scene make more sense Mm -hmm. because something else was clearly happening there. Why does she have... I mean, obviously she didn't really have an octopus baby or a Mm -hmm. gross creature baby. Uh, A brilliant design, though, by Carlo Rambaldi, who went on to design E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Uh, Who he... 
ran over with his truck. <laughs> he ran. That was Steven Spielberg who ran over E.T. Oh, with I'm a riding sorry. mower at the 1994 Oscars. Thank you. That's why he cannot take baths with E.T. Um, I, I did some research. I did some searching uh, for Carlo Rambaldi, like pictures of him with E.T. And there's all these pictures of <laughs> parts of the E.T. costume or uh, puppet that look like someone killed an E.T. <laughs> And skinned it for its, like, face. And, like, you were, like, the Ed Gein of E.T.'s. And you wanted to, like, make yourself an E.T. suit out of the dead alien. Uh, So this is the guy who did the E.T. thing. Who was the guy who did the puppets in the last movie we watched? What was the last movie we watched? We watched Dead and Buried. That was was Stan Winston. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Different guy. But also equally brilliant guy um but yeah so you don't also don't get to see you don't see this thing very well all the time the first time we see it it's just a pile of goo yeah and it's mostly in the shadows this creature this thing that we barely see apparently came out of came out of this woman maybe we don't know uh but it's certainly growing mm-hmm. and the uh is it eating the people is that what's happening is it eating the people? Yeah. I believe that it is... Okay, so she kills the first private investigator. Mm-hmm. And then his partner goes looking for him. Mm-hmm. And she kills him. Uh, there are... She's also... It's ke- a very sad scene. <laughs> she's also keeping body parts in her refrigerator and ahead mm-hmm. of these men. And the idea that I have heard is that she's kind of assembling a new person Mm -hmm. using these body parts and sort of building off this thing that was on her bed. But the thing also is like evolving because it has a weird little face, Mm -hmm. Uh, like a little bird face. It's really unsettling. This thing is gross. Um, I don't like it at all, Uh, but it works. It's it's genuinely unnerving. I don't know why they call it an octopus monster. Um, Because it looks like an octopus monster later. It has tentacle things. I don't know. It's really bothersome. Um... But yeah, it's this, it's, it's, it sits in the corner at one point, it's covered in goo, and it has these little lips. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, the worst? It's the worst. It's the worst. But it's very well done. It's mm-hmm. very well done. Um, in any case, she kills both of these private investigators. So they're out, they're out of the picture. And eventually, doesn't Heinrich find it? Uh, well, is it, so we're tired of jumping around a lot in this movie, because a lot happens not sequentially. Like we go from one person and then during, then we go to another person, but it's during the same time as the one person. Right. I don't know. So he, so what's his face? The main character calls him mm-hmm. and tells him, this is where my wife has been staying because he can't find her either. Um. So, oh, and what is his name? Heinrich? Yes. He lives with his mom. Right. His mom's the character. <laughs> yeah. Um. So he calls Heinrich and is like, yo, this is where my wife's been staying. You can go see her or whatever. Right. This is after Heinrich has come to the apartment. Yeah. I mean, they come and go. Yeah. Um, And Bob is just chilling. Right. Bob is around. He's just dealing with life. Mm -hmm. He also can hold his breath for a very long time. Yeah. Yes. Just keep that in mind. Uh, And like the best friend has come and is taking broken her leg and is taking care of Bob. And also the teacher is taking care of Bob, too, sometimes. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of people going in and out of his life right now. Mm-hmm. He's just chilling. Oh, and sometimes you're at uh, Margie's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, he also, Bob also got a cool boat. Bob got a very cool boat. So Heinrich goes to find Anna, the wife, mm-hmm. at her flat. And does he find the creature? 
Wait, we have to. We forgot to talk about the best part of this whole movie, which is when the first private investigator knocks on her door and is like, "I'm here to check your windows." Oh, that's right. So, <laughs> the private investigator, who is a genius, yes, <laughs> is like, "I'm here to inspect your windows." How does he? How does he inspect those windows? He he pulls the blinds over and is like, "This window's good." Yep, he's like, "That's a window." <laughs> And that's when he discovers the the creature in her in her bedroom. Because he she's not planning on murdering him. He's the window inspector. He's like someone like got something dropped on them from a window. Yeah. Or like a window broke or something. So I got to check all your windows. And he's like, now it's time to check the bathroom. And she's like, there's no windows in the bathroom. He's like, gotta check them anyway. Yep. <laughs> Just in case you forgot if there are windows in your bathroom. Uh. <laughs> and yeah, that's he finds the monster. She kills him. Stabs him in the neck. Uh, okay, so sympathetic characters so far. Yes. Gay detectives. Okay, Bob. Bob. Banana Have Man. Have we met Banana Man yet? I why, why I don't remember when we found Banana Man. Where we was We found Banana, Banana Man? Man. We found Banana Man before the detective died because she was on the train. That's and right. there was yeah. So that she's on the the bus or the train or something getting groceries and she sits next to this man mm-hmm. and he reaches into her grocery bag and grabs a banana and eats while it. making like direct eye contact with her the entire yep. time and just starts eating it. <laughs> banana man. That's his only role. Yeah. Uh but yes, he's a sympathetic character. He's got chutzpah. We love him. Mm-hmm. Uh she kills then, both detectives. Yeah. At, at what point do we get the flashback to her miscarriage scene? That's not yet. We get that after um, Heinrich is killed. Okay. How does Heinrich um, get killed? It's gross. He gets attacked by Anna or by the creature or something in the apartment and he flees. And this is where we get our final sympathetic character, who is the woman on the corner who's doing something. <laughs> yep. Um, and he calls our boy, the main character, to come pick him up. Right. He has a motorcycle, by the way. He does have a pretty cool I don't know one. why he calls this man to come pick him up. Oh, he's been stabbed. He's not doing well. Does he have no one else in his life? He has his mother, Doesn't but he... she probably can't drive. He calls Mark and he's like, I've been stabbed by your wife. Please come get me. And Mark's like, ha ha, suffer for a little while. And Go, he goes to stay at a bar. Yeah, he runs. He flees to a bar, to a bar bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And then Mark goes to the apartment and looks around and he finds the body parts in the refrigerator. I thought that was after I thought he went to the bar first and listens to Heinrich telling him about that stuff and he's like, What are you talking about? Does and then he... he kills Heinrich and then he goes to the apartment. Regardless, he kills Heinrich, but he kills Heinrich in a very bizarre way. He makes himself throw up in the toilet. Mm-hmm. Then he hits Heinrich over the head with the toilet tank cover. And then he shoves Heinrich's face into the vomit toilet. And then he flushes it and drowns him in the vomit water. So I don't know. I guess so people will think he got sick and threw up and passed out in the toilet. I can't tell. The cops have more problems to worry about than what looks like a drunk guy drowning in a toilet. I don't so... understand. But he does make himself. He sticks his finger down his throat, makes himself throw up. No, the... he sticks a trash feather down his well, throat. Well, whatever. He throws up in the toilet. Um, and then we, he goes and he finds Margie dying Dead. who killed margie we have no idea she's been stabbed yeah um he takes margie's body inside anna's place i think it's anna's place uh, no it's his place is it his place anna didn't... oh my god yeah. okay there's so much that happens in this movie and there's a lot of places and they all look exactly the same right what happens is that he's looking for anna because her apartment's been cleared out and there's no creature there anymore right she's gone back to their place his their place Bob is at Margie's. Jeez, place. That's right. That's right. 
Um, so he, well, I think first he goes to get Bob from Margie, which is where he finds her stabbed in the elevator. Okay. Then they, he takes Bob back to his place where he finds Anna. What happens to Margie's body? He, maybe, no. <laughs> okay. Here, there's so many places, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So maybe Margie and Bob are at his place. Yes. Anna's gone to Margie's place with the creature. Okay. I don't understand how this timeline works. Did the creature kill Margie? Or did someone killed Margie? Margie's been killed. Yeah. All I know is that at one point he walks in and sees Anna having sex with the creature. That's after they've had sex. They have sex. It is not. I mean, you have to remember also that while all this is happening, while this these events in the movie are happening, the incident is happening. Everyone is talking a lot, and there is nonstop monologuing from all of the characters not just about what's happening but also like just sort of like their concepts of life and living it's it's uh while you're watching fluids pour out of people you're also getting like weird philosophizing uh written by i assume uh frederick tutton but (laughs) because i mean the there were there were there were moments where I was so overwhelmed by what was happening on screen I could barely pay attention. The only part of the movie that I really got confused on, like what is happening wise, was near the end when there was like the big police chase. Uh, just because I was like, okay, what? Where are they? What is? I, I was losing the geography of the movie. But we can't cover up the fact that Heinrich's mom kills herself, which is awful. We don't get to know this woman throughout the film. She finally gets a scene and she kills herself in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Lays down on the bed and dies. Oh, we also find out Heinrich had a wife and a daughter. Right. Okay. So, yeah, a lot was going on with Heine. Um, she does have this, this I think, really interesting scene because she seems like the mother-in-law from hell, to be completely honest. Because <laughs> she babies her son. She excuses all of his behavior. And she's like, well, he, o- he always deserves to have his mother at his side. And I'm like, no, he doesn't. Shut up. <laughs> so the spy the espionage people whoever that he works for show back up and, and they're like come work again we don't He's know like, why don't... we don't really know what the deal is uh he uh the police end up shooting him well first we have to go through the the shower the gown bag scene where he's shoving the body in the gown bag he does put the body in a bag he, he zips the body up or shoves the body into a in a, the clear bag in a clear bag to transport it i guess so it doesn't drip everywhere the, the the body's in the trunk of the car uh the police are at margie's house yeah okay she's been reported missing or something for some reason anna is staying at margie's house right and he gets shot by the police i don't know why he he gets in a taxi with the gun and, and tells, he tells the taxi, the taxi driver man yeah to drive into the we didn't see the gun at first right it was so very when confusing he said, <laughs> when he said drive into the car and the taxi man was just like okay we were like oh, what he makes the taxi man drive into the police car Mm-hmm. Uh, as a distraction. Yeah. The police shoot him. Okay. He drives off. The police are after him. The spies are after him. Anna's after him. He goes. Into- Anna's gotten into his car and driven off. He gets his building. It's a spiral staircase. Everyone's after him. He gets. He gets in a motorcycle accident. 
That's right. And he tumbles the over worst, and over and over and over. The worst motorcycle accident. So in the beginning of the movie, he was told to look for this guy with pink socks. Mm-hmm. That's who he was after, a guy with pink socks. But then the guy with pink socks works for them? <laughs> I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any difference because we are the we are nearing the apocalyptic ending of this movie. He tumbles yeah. over and over and he's, he's very hurt. He's being pursued by Anna, the police, and his business associates. Yes. Um, <laughs> he gets to this building. He climbs up this giant spiral staircase. At the top is Anna and she has the creature with her. The creature is now who? Mark. The creature now looks like Mark, only he has green eyes just like helen all right then the police show up or the associates show up they shoot every bullet in the world (laughs) kills anna no it kills it she it shoots they shoot him then and he's on the stairs lying down and then anna shoots herself in the stomach in the stomach why so they shoot it so they don't have to do special effects on her face and she dies and then he throws himself off the stairwell yeah. Uh, they have a gun up there. There's, You didn't have to do that, sir. But then the creature Mark runs off. Yeah, he like hypnotizes some poor woman that's just been standing there this entire time. Like, what the hell is going on? Okay, now things get weird. Because we cut to Bob, who... Bob and Helen. Helen is babysitting Bob. In the biggest house in the world. Right. And the doorbell rings. Mm-hmm. And it's the doppelganger. And Bob's like, don't answer it. Yeah, he's like, don't answer it. 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 Don't answer the door. Don't answer the door. And then the world ends, <laughs> I think is what happens. Mark, Bob runs to the bathroom, gets in and the he, tub. It's like there's helicopter. It's like the police chase has chased the doppelganger, Mark. And they have like helicopters and like guns and stuff all outside. Yeah. And Bob runs upstairs and goes into the bathroom with the full bathtub and lies face down um, and like floats. he's drowned. But you, the thing to remember is that he can hold his breath for an extended period of time. He can hold his breath for a very long time. We mm-hmm. don't know if he's dead or if he's floating. I don't think it matters. Yeah. And then we see the doppelganger of Anna and the mm-hmm. doppelganger of Mark. Mark is outside of the door that you can kind of see through, and he's, like, doing a weird sort of creepy face dance. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Helen is, or Helen, Anna, is sort of just staring at him through the door, like, with a weird smile on her face. Uh-huh. And then the movie's over. And then the movie's over. Uh, and then the movie's over. And it costs $2.4 million to make. It made $1.1 million in the U.S., uh it was also cut severely down uh this is a two-hour movie it was cut down to like 80 minutes in america apparently it was cut out they cut all the everything everything involving the divorce out and they just turned it into this gross out monster movie basically you know what we should do with this movie we should cut out all of the movie they turned it into a gross out monster movie. It still does okay. $1.1 million. I wish uh, I had $1.1 million. It is, of course, immediately banned in Poland. <laughs> this movie should be banned. It was banned. It was banned in the UK. It was a video nasty in the UK. Good. Um, yeah, they released it on Halloween in America. Um, this is not a Halloween movie. Uh, and, of course, it got terrible reviews in America because the entire point of it was left out. Um, it was banned from distribution in the UK. Uh, it wasn't released uncut until like the early 2000s to the mid to like the like 2010. It was hard to get your hands on an uncut version. It's still hard to get your hands on an uncut version because they released it on Blu-ray. Uh, it went out of print. It is now like $190 to get the Blu-ray. Um, I would not spend $190 on this movie. It's an interesting film. Uh, it is not worth $190. <laughs> 
there's it got some good reviews some some interesting reviews uh one uh tom huddleston of timeout says there are plenty of movies which seem to have been made by madmen possession may be the only film in existence which is itself mad unpredictable horrific its moments of terrifying lucidity only serving to highlight the staggering derangement at its core extreme but essential viewing you would disagree I would disagree. Also, everyone who's watching this owes me a hundred dollars. That's right. All right, uh, everyone, we owe Willow a hundred dollars because of uh, <laughs> because of the be- what we said in the beginning. Uh, I found this movie to be deeply unpleasant, but also amazing. I've never seen a movie like it. Uh, when when uh, when Michael Brook in his review from 2011 says that it is a combination of Lars von Trier's Antichrist, Cronenberg's The Brood, and Ingmar Bergman's Scenes from a Marriage. I was like, yeah. Like, you could cut out all the supernatural stuff, and it would be a searing, like, portrait of two crazy people getting a divorce. Like, the fact that it also has a a goblin in it and plenty of murder is, 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 it's amazing. It's wild. Um, They should have... I don't think this movie was worth watching. If I could go back in time and unwatch it, maybe I wouldn't because it was there were some funny scenes in it, yeah. but I would never watch it again. <laughs> I think I would watch this movie again. Um, I think it, it was going to require a, an additional viewing on my part. Uh, the only time I would ever watch this movie again is if I was like, hey guys, there's this movie you gotta see. There's... And I would make all of my friends watch it mm-hmm. while I watched their reactions to it. I think that... There are two types of movies that you can say you've never seen anything like. Mm-hmm. There's the movies that are doing something through a new lens in a new way. And then there's the movies that you watch and you're like, oh, this is why I haven't seen anything do anything like this. Yeah. And I think for me, this one falls into the latter category for me. Mm-hmm. Because I just felt like this was another movie about a woman who's evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this didn't like this did. This movie didn't help me build any sympathy towards her. Right. Like, I, I find myself having a hard... Like, I know intellectually, obviously, something really wrong is, like, really bad is, like, happening to this woman. Mm-hmm. But emotionally, during this movie, I was just like, this person sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I just... I don't think that... Like, I, I'm... I'm To me, this movie really felt... It got really weird and kind of confusing towards the end when suddenly he was murdering people, too. I didn't understand why they did that. <laughs> I was like, wh- why is he suddenly murdering people for this woman? I don't. <laughs> um... It almost seemed like they were soon in a shared psychosis. Like, mm-hmm. and I think that may, may have been, I feel like that may have been uh, Zulowski's way of sharing in the, like, the culpability. Like, to say, like, this isn't just a movie about my evil ex-wife. This is, we were both. We both contributed to the to to the t- the horror of this of this situation. Like Sam Neill acts just as badly as she does by the end. Um, I think that part of the problem with why I can't really picture this movie being that though is because they never showed her in a positive light. Mm-hmm. Like like what is his name? Matt Mark. Mark. <laughs> like Mark got all of this like one on one time with his son. Like that we saw, oh, he's like, he's doing his best to be a good single father. He's, he has moments where he's seen as like a human being. Yeah. But the wife never gets that luxury. Like even when she's recounting her trauma, it makes it out to be this sort of horrific monstrous thing that's not happening to her, but that she's doing. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Like, it's sort of this weird dance that she's participating in. It doesn't, that scene really didn't feel like, oh, she was, like, something was happening to her. It felt like something that she was doing. Yeah. With the way that it was filmed and the way that it was acted out. Like, I, I never really felt like she was portrayed as having problems instead of being a problem. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I can see that. I guess I don't look for sympathy in this film. I wasn't looking. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I just kind of like, I was like, oh, what we're seeing is, what we're seeing is a mind screaming on film. And I guess you don't always want to see that. Like, I guess that's not everyone's cup of tea. Uh, it's really not. <laughs> a psyche shrieking onto the page or onto the screen. Just a, a person's pain just being poured out onto screen. That's what I saw. I, think... I saw an artist who experienced for himself a psychic pain mm-hmm. and was just like, I need to share this with the world. Yeah, I think maybe if they hadn't included Bob in this movie, I could see it more that way. Hmm. But you can't have like a touching father-son moment in the middle of all of this and not expect people to look for sympathy for other characters. See, and I feel like Bob wasn't there to create sympathy. I feel like Bob was there almost as an anchor, like a fulcrum. Like Bob was the one thing that kept this whole thing from just exploding from the beginning. Uh, He was almost like an unfortunate part. Like if Bob hadn't been there, this all would have been over in 10 minutes. They just would have murdered each other. But because there was this like center of sanity, uh, it kept things from boiling out of control until the very end when who knows what's happening. Do you think doppelganger Mark and doppelganger Anna are going to get together in the end? No, I think the ending was... Because they look like Mark and Anna, I think that the police are going to be like, it's Mark and Anna. Like, I don't think, <laughs> like, I, I think that, uh, or they're going to be like, this is weird. Why is there, what is happening? Uh, <laughs> right, right. I there's think, also I these bodies. I don't think that there is a way for this story to end in anything except for tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the final scene, or not the final scene, but Bob floating face down in the water like he's drowning. I think that that sort of symbolized the end of the relationship in the family unit yeah um because he he, it it was it was pretty heavy-handed on the bob's drowned thing yeah like why was the tub full of water why (laughs) like a lot nothing really made sense with that scene um so i sort of interpreted it as helen had killed bob uh to sort of get rid of the last remnants of this family so that she could fully take over anna's place and mark's doppelganger could take over mark's place yeah because Bob wasn't cooperating with her fantasy or her, like, he wasn't just letting them slide into the rules of his parents. Right. Well, we'll never know because uh, we never so got, make any sense. we never got possession to Bob's, Bob's big adventure. <laughs> Where uh, Bob and the squid monster go on a cross country trip in his boat. I, I was pretty clear after we finished watching this movie that I wasn't going to recommend it. But I can't not recommend it because, like, I like you made some good points about it, and I I can see why it would be a good movie to watch. I just this is one of those movies where if you're not watching movies into like for intellectual pursuits or for like a podcast about a list of movies, <laughs> I wouldn't watch it. It's not <laughs> this movie isn't entertaining. Yeah, I know a lot of people who've seen it. I know a lot of people who love this movie. Like when I said I was watching it with you, they were like, "Sweet possession." Uh, but none of them were like, "That's a fun movie" or "What a great Halloween spook 'em up." It's it was like, "That's a good movie," but in the same way that like this very upsetting painting at a museum is a good painting. Mm-hmm. Like, and it to me it is that way. Like, I would say watch it if you're interested in a deeply unpleasant film that 
really makes you work hard as a viewer. Like you're watching something that was very deliberate and very exactly put together uh, with performances that are just dynamite. Like they are committed fully. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Neill says this is the best movie he ever worked on. Uh, still his favorite role. Um, Isabel and Johnny did not say it was her favorite movie. Uh, it took her many years to recover from making this movie. Uh, but she said uh, later on, she said that it was the only movie that, the kind of movie you could only make when you're young. Um, you can't make this movie past a certain age. It required too much energy. Uh, where's the quote? There's a great quote from her. Uh, she said, uh, Zulowski is a director that makes you sink into his world of darkness and his demons. It's okay when you're young because you're excited to go there. His movies are very special, but they totally focus on women as if they are lilies. It was quite an amazing film to do, but I got bruised inside out. It was exciting to do. It was no bones broken, but it was like, how or why did I do that? I don't think any other actress ever did two films with him. So, yeah. And uh, she called the scene in the subway, which we never discussed really, uh, emotional pornography. Uh, it's a five-minute scene where she has a breakdown, and then she has a miscarriage, and all the fluids leak out. That was the worst scene in any movie I've ever seen. Yeah, it was pretty hard to watch, uh, partly because it's one take, and you're watching Isabel Johnny have an emotional breakdown, screaming and throwing herself around for the full run of the scene, and it's pretty harsh. Uh, I did not like this movie. I know you didn't, but... Uh, I can safely say I found pretty much zero redeeming qualities in this movie. Uh-huh. The only good scene was the window scene and the banana man. <laughs> Bruno Neuten was the cinematographer on this movie, and some of the camera work in this film was amazing. Mm-hmm. There were some sweeping uh, steady cam shots. The opening scene with him at the desk with his coworkers, it just the camera just swoops around and around and around them while they're talking. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a great looking film. Uh, yeah. This is a good looking movie. Um, the script, again, there were some monologues, there was some dialogue, there were scenes that I thought it was a very well written film. Again, everyone acted their butts off, and uh, and it had a weird little monster in it. Uh, again, you can't buy this anywhere. It's not available. Like, do not spend two hundred. Don't spend two hundred bucks on. I am sure it will be released again soon. Uh, I I am sad that I didn't get to see. There's a ton of special features on the Blu-ray that aren't. I can't get my hands on. I would love to see them. Um, our boy Guillermo del Toro said, "Possession" by Andrei Zulovsky. Bravura filmmaking. Committed performances by Ajani and Sam Neill. Insane, amazing creature by Rambaldi. And I agree with that. And uh, he says... Guillermo uh, del Toro, you owe me $100 (laughs) for making me watch this movie. And he says that Possession is one of the only Lovecraftian films that has blown him away. This is a Lovecraftian film. It's a Lovecraftian film. They should never have shown the creature. (laughs) In the purest sense of the word, it's Lovecraftian because it's yeah. weird and nothing is explained. It's just this is a Lovecraftian film. That's that's a good lens to look at this through because Lovecraft does Lovecraftian films are or Lovecraftian the Lovecraftian genre is really good at telling stories with unsympathetic characters. <laughs> <laughs> and Lovecraft's theory of weird fiction is that weird fiction is more about creating a mood and an ongoing sense of distress and uncertainty uh, and not explaining the origins of anything and leaving the audience or the reader adrift at the end and feeling like I just experienced something really uncomfortable, but no one held my hand through it and no one explained to me what was happening. That's to him the purest form of weird fiction. I would say this qualifies as weird fiction. Yes. I agree. So congratulations, Zulovsky. You made a good weird fiction movie. You're going to make a good weird movie uh, in the in the in the strictest sense of the term. Weird fiction. Possession. I, 1981. 
This is not a movie anyone should ever watch ever. <laughs> <laughs> You're going back and forth on us. This is not, this is okay. Let me rephrase it. This is not a movie. <laughs> okay now you're dipping into like strange waters <laughs> i would say this is very much a movie this is not a movie in the sense that most people wanting to watch a movie would consider a movie to watch <laughs> just say if you get your hands on this and you watch it don't expect something easy don't expect something comforting uh and don't expect to come out the other side feeling better about anyone uh you're gonna feel bad and you're gonna have a bad rest of your day possession you're gonna pull your chest muscle you're gonna pull a chest muscle you're also gonna be short a hundred dollars <laughs> willow what is the next movie on the ecstasy of influence anything any idea pinocchio is it pinocchio <laughs> <laughs> we're not watching pinocchio i mean we we're watching will pinocchio later we will watch pinocchio when Guillermo del toro's pinocchio comes out later actually i think the next movie on our list is not a movie at all a book no i don't think we're starting the book just yet is it an interview is that what our next movie is an interview <laughs> we're doing an interview at some point <laughs> we will be covering we will have a guest on this show at some point but we're not sure exactly when that's going to fall the next couple episodes it might be a special episode that just comes out uh but our next movie in the ecstasy of influence is very unlike possession jaws 2 no but it is a sequel the Exorcist 2. No, it is not a sequel to a movie we've watched. Uh, Blade 2. We did Blade 2. I know. The next movie on our list is... Bum, bum, bum. Mad Max 2. The Road Warrior. It is? From 1981. Directed by George Miller. The director of Mad Max Fury Road. Mad Max and Happy Feet. <laughs> <laughs> Was Mad Max Fury Road the one that came out in like 2015? Yeah. I saw that one. Mad Max, George Miller, the top four George Miller movies on Letterboxd <laughs> are Mad Max, Mad Max 2, Mad Max Fury Road, and Happy Feet. <laughs> they all come in right above Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, <laughs> The Witches of Eastwick, and Babe Pig in the City. <laughs> he's had quite a career that's a that's quite a range <laughs> it's quite a career from babe pig in the city to happy feet to mad max fury road george miller our only taste of george miller will be getting we love george miller he's got he's just got this weird track record uh but yeah we'll be watching mad max 2 not necessary to have watched mad max 1 to enjoy mad max 2 i'll just say that right off the bat um that's good because i'm not planning on watching it so that's fine uh i'll catch you up on what you need to know which i think is covered in the opening crawl so uh, i'll just google it it's been years since i've seen mad max 2 i think since college so i'm excited to watch it again because this is a dynamite film uh otherwise thank you so much for joining us again we have an interview coming up as soon as we get it scheduled we'll be covering a book we'll be covering a movies we'll be covering another movies we've got a lot of stuff coming up by the end of we'll this be covering year. another book uh hopefully soon mitzi will be getting vaccinated and then i can feel free to go to movie theaters again and we can see paranormal activity i forgot about paranormal <laughs> activity willow and i have a history of watching the paranormal activity movie we watched all the paranormal activity movies together uh including the last one the second to last one which had a surprise nudity in it <laughs> We were both like, what is happening? We're like, oh, they, none of them have nudity. And then all of a sudden, the marked ones, which is one of the best one, mm -hmm. uh, has has old lady nudity in it. Uh, I'm going to have to go through and watch all those movies again. 
Yeah, or you won't understand what's happening in the new paranormal activity. <laughs> yeah, because those movies are so easy to understand. <laughs> oh my goodness. I like a movie with a good time loop in it. Uh, mm-hmm. I like those. I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a secret fan of the paranormal activity. So, uh, yep. And then we'll be watch. we'll get to see Nightmare Alley in the theater. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Guillermo del Toro coming out this year. We're going to have fun. So catch mm-hmm. us on at Twitter at del Toro time uh, for updates and wacky action. Uh, and that's it. Do you have anything else to say to our fans? Not to our fans. Everything to say to our detractors? <laughs> I have something to say to our namesake. What do you have to say to Guillermo del Toro? Mr. Guillermo del Toro, you owe me $100. <laughs> I'm Phil. And I'm Willow. And we'll see you when it's, it's del, del Toro, Toro time. time.